Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis, this is MJ Network in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce and we are going to have a phenomenal show because we have the author of Saving Grace here and she is here, Dion Barr and Grace um, was the only child of an ailing billionaire that had been treated for paranoia since her childhood. When she secretly quits her meds, she begins to suspect that once her father passes, her husband ooh, will murder her for her inheritance. Ooh, not good. So realizing that no one will believe the ravings of a supposed psychotic, she devises a creative way to save herself. She'll write herself out of danger. I wish we could really do that in real life, too. That would be really nice. So good morning, and how are you? And welcome to MJ Network. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, creating the prologue sets the stage for later events, which is I find prologues are really interesting. Why did you create the mystery at the beginning? Because that is really good, a good way to start well, the book. It's the, yeah, it's the first chapter, um, and it shows the murder, or a murder, uh, that you don't actually come back to for, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, the uh, first I, I guess it's you don't see it until the middle of the second part of the book. So you're a couple of hundred, mm-hmm. maybe 150 pages in, uh, mm-hmm. because I wanted to put it into your mind that something was going to happen. So you're constantly waiting for it, and and then see how things come together uh, for it to happen. So mm-hmm. um, I think they all tell you you should have a murder in the first couple of pages. Uh, and this book was written about 10 different times so I have to tell you that originally I did not have the murder in the first chapter it sort of makes it interesting um, yeah I, I read well shown that I read very fast I'm a speed reader and mm-hmm. I also it's and usually what happens is the book is like three, 400 pages it takes me about 2 hours to read it and get eyes wow which, which is a good thing because that's what happened. <laughs> so the first chapter introduces us to Grace and Dr. Lehman. Hmm. What impression of Grace did you want to convey? Um, I kind of, it's a good question. Um, I want her to be a little bit snarky. Uh, Mm-hmm. That's all I do is write snark. But I also wanted her to be a little bit more rebellious because she's she's taken mm-hmm. herself off of her meds. Nobody knows. Um, I know that in the reviews, a lot of people have gotten it wrong. Why she 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 really wanted to reconnect with her husband, and she feels that mm-hmm. their love life has died, and you know she's just tired of it. And here he's invited her to a Thanksgiving party or a holiday party at his office, which is something he never does. And um, she wants to be more lucid than languid. 
So she goes off of her meds. She fakes being on, um, she fakes having the flu so that mm-hmm. she can get over all the side effects. And she's sort of tenuous during that, uh, the first, the first um, chapter is in the psychiatrist's office and she's trying very hard to pretend that she's still under the influence so that her therapist mm-hmm. can't tell that she's sort of out of it, that she's not out of it. Um, but she's sort of fascinated by a fly on the wall that ultimately gets killed. And that's sort of uh, foreshadowing what's going to happen to her. Yeah, that's so what true. could happen to Medi- her. Medication can really destroy you. And if you don't know yeah. what's in it or what it's going to do and the side effects, um, that's all we've been hearing about the side effects lately. So you, you you don't really know until you take it sometimes, you know, wh- whether it's going to bother you or not. So what? tell us a little bit about Dr. Lehman. Um, what, what type of, she's a psychiatrist. What type of a doctor is she, and what exactly is she supposed to do for her? Well, she was been hired to take care of her since uh, Grace was about six. She worked mm-hmm. in a mental institution where Grace was placed when she was six, and um, Ooh, Grace wow. took a shine to her. And when Grace finished a year at uh, Grasmere, which is the name of the uh, institution, father, who's a billionaire, hired Grace to be, uh, I mean, sorry, hired Dr. Lane to personal physician. She's invested in Grace. She has an investment in Grace and Grace being well, uh, because that's been like her life's work. Hi, Cheryl. Good morning. We're having a great interview. Glad you're here. She's here. So tell us about Elliot and how they met. Um, well, I don't want to tell too much about that because it's part of the book, but okay. uh, she um, she met him at college. Uh, they went to Trinity, and uh, it was early in the I, I think she went to Trinity because I always wanted to go to Trinity and I applied early admission to Trinity and I didn't get in. But I thought <laughs> it was one of the most beautiful campuses anywhere. I love that campus. Um, so I had to stick it in there. Um, but they did meet at college and they fell in love and um, got married, even though uh, um, Grace's father was against the marriage or so he said. So he said, I know. They eloped in Las Vegas, and uh, when they came back, the father's first words to Elliot was, she's your problem now. Ooh, that's horrible. Yeah, there's a lot of horrible people in this book. I I, I know, and it's even worse when your father says to him, it's your problem, oh my God. So why why and how would her husband benefit if her father dies? Well, he figures, you know, she's rich, whatever, and I'm going to get it. If you're smart, you just leave it to yourself. I suppose that's true. I suppose <laughs> that if he was that sort of person, that but yeah. the thing is you're never really sure if he is that sort of person. Um, yeah. Because you have to remember that everything Grace is looking at the world is through the eyes of somebody who was on medication and has taken herself off. So you're never really sure if it's the meds the lack of meds yeah. that are talking or if what she, what's happening to her is really happening or what she thinks is happening is really happening. That's scary. It's sort of hallucinogenic. She's just like, does she get paranoid about all this stuff? Well, she's been diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic since she was six. That's even worse. And obviously, yeah. 
That's 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 really scary. And he knows that. Yeah. So who who is Joe Hack and why does he prey on his sister's kindness and bank account? That's so not right. Um, I don't think that he really does. I think he is a player. Um, Joe yeah. Hack is a con man. Um, honestly, when I first wrote the book, he was an equal. I I I had him have a much larger part in in the original writing of the book. It went back and forth between Grace and Hack. Um, uh, Hack is a um, he's eighteen. His parents are gone. He is doing everything he can to be able to get by. He's actually trying to help a friend of his, um, uh, or he helps friends of his uh, by giving them shelter. And he, um, his, it's not that his, he loves his sister very much, but he also knows she, he's her favorite. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he takes advantage of that. And uh, he knows that if he's in trouble, she'll be there for him. So I don't really think that he's, he's very protective of her, actually. I know. There are a lot of people in this world that like to be the number one favorite, and they do take kind of advantage of it also. That's, that's kind of, like, difficult, too. So I'm just going to know what yeah, I do with the rest of you. She's good-hearted. She's a good-hearted um, character. She is a, a, an author who yeah. is um, an award-winning author. And, um, you know, he. I don't really feel that he takes advantage of her as much as he could. He just uh, wants to stay in the house. He wants to be left alone to finish college, or high school, I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And um, he's coping with the death of his parents. That's hard. That I do know. Yeah. That is hard. But what strikes me is that, um, let's see, who is Tom Druthers and how does she meet him and why does he help her? Um, Tom Druthers is a forensic, um, is a, he's a poison specialist and she goes to him because she's writing a book and uh, he's, he's been a, a, a reference or a resource for Andrea Lynn, who is the person who is writing, who's the hack sister, who's the author. And we're asking questions out of order, so it's kind of trying to fill it yeah. in. Um, and um, he takes a shine to Grace. He is divorced. He loves dogs. He actually owns two dogs that were in my family, Thunder and Rain. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of commemorated them. He's a good guy, and he helps her. I don't really want to talk too much about how he helps her because then I'm giving away the plot. No, we don't but want to. We don't want to the, do that. What, what I what I love about Tom Druthers is the question, the one pun that is unsaid, is will she if she had her druthers? Does she get her druthers? I you know, I never have anybody say that, but in my mind, that's why I named him that. <laughs> No, somebody, I've I've heard that expression before. <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing. No, but she, you know, I'm I don't want to give away anything in the plot because um, I have your questions next, and I need to add some more so that we have enough for the whole hour. Um, Grace seems to feel that she's losing her mind, doesn't she? At one point, well, people think that she's losing her mind. I'm sorry. Say that again. Grace thinks that she's losing her mind, or they think that she's losing her mind. 
Well, they um, always don't... thought that because she's been diagnosed think... as paranoid schizophrenic. So they, everybody's always thinking that she has an issue. Um, they don't think sure. that she has Alzheimer's or something like that or dementia? No. No, I think she's paranoid schizophrenic. So she That's scary. Uh, she has all of those traits that she, she's as parts of those hallucinations. Um, and she's out of it a lot of times because of her uh, medication. Her medication doesn't stop her from working. What it does is it dulls her senses, and that's what she's really tired of is just having dulled senses and not really feeling life and experiencing life. So she's sort of trudging through life, um, and things are happening to her, and she wants to be a more active participant in her life. And honestly, the book is an allegory for women over 40 who are taken advantage of or taken for granted and they're sort of screaming out do you see me do you hear me do i still exist and that's taken to the nth degree in this book no i agree with that because that's not only people over 40 i'm noticing people over any age it's you know you, you you go into a medical office and they ask you your date of birth and i tend to forget that constantly and and i find that they they judge you by uh, how old you are, and they think your mental state is gone if you read, if you're over 25 or 30 or 40, and that 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 really gets me gets to me, um, mm-hmm. and, and that bothers because that that uh, that that happens a lot. What exactly does Grace do? She's a CPA, so yeah. she does. Um, she's actually always been uh, in, in her own mind. She's always been better at math because figures don't mm-hmm. lie. Um, so she can have faith in numbers, uh, whereas she never totally has faith in, in what she sees. She at least knows that numbers will add up. And even though she wrote short stories as a child, she she really didn't get um, support in that. Her father threw her writing into the furnace or into the fire. Um, so she put it aside, and she really didn't think she could write, but she finds that um, she really has to in order to save her life because she's going to write a story that's going to be her um, literary insurance policy. She figures that if she writes about a woman whose husband's out to kill her, um, that if he does do that, Elliot would be the first person that would be uh, suspected. And so that's why she feels that once the book's written and in everybody's hands, there's no way he can't kill her. So she's racing to get the book written before her father dies. That's amazing, yeah. So your metaphors are so unique in the book. Why do they all relate to scenes in classic literature? Because that is all she's known. Her whole life has been from books. And, and I've said I say that a couple of times in the book that all she's known of life is in books because she really wasn't allowed out. Her father kept her under wraps. She was homeschooled until she insisted on going to college for her junior year. And at that point, she was legal and he couldn't really stop her. Um, so everything she's experienced is through books, and so that's why all my metaphors are literary metaphors. I know that's interesting. Which which classic literatures did you cite in this particular one, or in in, the, in any of your books? Um, actually, this is the only book where I've done that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I think I have something from *To Kill a Mockingbird*, where her headache mm-hmm. was like the judge's gavel. Um, I'm trying, I wrote this like a year and a half ago, so I'm trying to remember what else I had. You've read it more recently. You tell me. <laughs> 
I, I, you know, I read it and I couldn't put it down. It's really, you know, amazing. And I have the book in front of me. I don't give away anything until I. There are hands out for this. I have to now tell you. The minute I tell somebody in the elevator, they go, "What are you reading?" They're not allowed to come in the elevator anymore because of COVID. So they'll say to me, yeah. "Can I stand on here and ask you what you're reading?" And I go, "Why? Because yeah. we want it next." <laughs> so I, I just, you know, I, I swear, I leave them outside my door. Um, the porter in my building comes from Ghana, so I give him. I donate the books to, to the country, and they want this one. They want anything oh, that's really good. That anything that's five stars or four stars, they want anything less. I just, you know, I, I hide them. Whatever. <laughs> so. Yeah, actually, this is the one book where I have the literary metaphors. What I usually have is, I have usually have a multi-diverse um, cast of characters, and I usually have people quoting from, um, like, sayings in their own lands. In this book, I have a Yiddish character spouting off Yiddish um, sayings, but I, I, I have yeah, I know the same those. thing in, in, in every book. I have um, somebody talking about what their grandmother used to say in Scotland or... Yeah. <laughs> well, Yiddish saying I, I love right that. up my alley. My grandmother yeah. spoke Jewish to Hebrew Yiddish to me. Um and um my mother understood some of it. And uh-huh. we my um, I used to do that with my brother cuz I I took fluent Hebrew. So when we didn't want anybody to understand, we spoke in another language. It was so cool. And they could never <laughs> tell what we were saying, which which uh-huh. is even better, seriously. Yeah. But, so you um, probably got a I'm kick out of the, the Yiddish expressions that Zev would come up with in the book. Yes, I, I did. And I, yeah. th- those those were those were really cool. And, of course, I, the great part is that I understood them, which is even better. And I kept saying, <laughs> my grandmother would say that to me. My grandfather would say that to me. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'm going to finish with your questions, and I'm going to have to add some, make sure we have a hard okay. enough for the hour. You've written three books that you claim when yeah. you consider together form an autobiography. How could you explain that? Uh, well, my first book was called Expired Listings, and it's about a travel writer who became a um, a realtor. And that was my background. I was a travel writer who became a realtor. And uh, in that book, I get to kill off a lot of people who avoid me as a realtor. So <laughs> they, oh, nice. they're not real people, but some of the situations were real, and it's more or less a real estate satire. Uh, but there's a kinky aspect, too, and I did investigate. I had friends in, in the kink world, and I got to experience a little bit of that by going to parties, and I included a lot of that in the book. So it's sort of um, a kinky satire on which takes jabs at real estate. Uh, it is also a psychological thriller, so you've got that part of my life in that book. Um, the second book I wrote uh, is called Slashing Mona Lisa, and um, mm-hmm. the main character in that has uh, body issues and has a yo-yo dieter or has had people in the book that have yo-yo dieting in their lives. Her uh, sister was heavy and bullied and uh, committed suicide, supposedly. Ooh. So... Um, those weight issues are things that I've lived with my whole life. Uh, in fact, the title was from a boyfriend that I had at 20. I was thin at the time, and I figured he should know that I might gain weight. And I said, you know, I might gain weight one day. And he said, oh, don't do that. It would be like slashing the Mona Lisa, which was mm. such an insensitive comment Ooh. about um, my value to him as a person um, that I sort of 
ditched him so shortly yeah. afterward, but it gave me a really great title for a book. <laughs> I never forgot slashing Mona Lisa. Uh, so that part of my life, in, and actually in that book, it's about a journalist, and I was a journalist. So, um, And in this book, I am a woman over 40 who sometimes feels that I am not heard. Um, but um, there are also characters in this book, uh, Saving Grace, that are true to life for me. Um, my father does live in Florida, and uh, my husband did ask about an inheritance, which is what gave me mm. the idea for the book. So um, that part of uh, my life is in there. Actually, my okay. newest book that I'm pitching now is set mm-hmm. in a, um, a Meals on Wheels type uh, organization. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. um, I, did, I did volunteer for Meals on Wheels, so there's a little bit of that in there. But that's the only thing. Nobody dies in the new book. <laughs> well, when is, when is that supposed to come out? As, as... Um, well, that's a very good question. I'm co- currently in negotiations with a publisher. If if the, that goes well, it'll come out in uh, the late summer. And that's called The Queen of Second Chances. And I'm sure Cheryl will be more than happy to have you do another blog talk. No. That's for sure. I would love that's to. For sure. It's actually a romantic comedy that involves elder abuse because God knows I can't write in just one genre. <laughs> well, you sound like me because my books are written um, from the point of view of dead people behind the grave. Oh, really? That wow. do deserve to either be there. Yeah, they either deserve to be there or they're telling the story about how they got there. That's the truth. Very cool idea. Or I, or I, have, or I have my YA books, which... I really wish more people would read it. It's called Sisters, Two Sisters from the South Bronx, uh, Growing Up With My Sister. I wrote it in her memory. And um, some of the things we did, oh, boy, <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. So Grace, Grace is an interesting character. She really is. And you get to know her, you know, fairly well in this story. But what are there any th- themes that run through all three of your psychological thrillers? Any specific one theme that runs through? Yeah, yeah. I would say um, self-validation. That people, Mm -hmm, expired listings, the woman is um, never sure if she's worth anybody's time or Mm -hmm. the love of, um, she was abandoned as a child by her mother. So she never really feels that she fits in or that she deserves love and she ends up in the kink world because she feels like if she doesn't, put out that way she's not going to be loved and she ends up having um, an infatuation with a, uh, a vanilla detective so it's really she's trying to figure out her value in uh, slashing Mona Lisa that's all it's about I mean I've got um, people trying to figure out if they're worthwhile if they're um, overweight and the interesting part about that book mm-hmm. is that um, we all know that there are people out there who are taking advantage of us for mm-hmm. because of the things we want to make better about ourselves and people who are overweight and sort of looked down by the society are number one for um, being targeted. And um, you think that there, you know that there are the weight loss organizations and the diet pills and all those people are out for your money. But what people don't realize is that there's a whole other, whole other group of people who are out there saying, you know, you're okay the way you are. As long as you pay like hundreds of dollars to go to a seminar to hear about that. So you're being taken advantage of by those people too. And I have a sort of an Elmer Gantry-like character in 
slashing Mona Lisa, who is leading people into believing they're okay as long as they spend a lot of money to buy all of his stuff. So, um, oh, and this book is also saying. about being heard. So mm-hmm. again, self-validation, is she crazy? Is she um, seeing things the way they really are? Does she have mm-hmm. value? I, I agree. I weighed, uh, I weigh 110 pounds, 109 pounds, 110 on a heavy day, but I did weigh 200 pounds at one point. Wow. And uh, yeah, when my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, you know, I sort of like kind of take care of her and I said, oh my God, I'm eating myself up into oblivion. This is not helpful. And that's when my sister, before she died, said, either you're going to become a couch potato or you're going to write a book. I said, you're out of your mind. I think I can do that. But, yeah, I did. <laughs> and I wrote stories about her. I said, see how I got even with you. What could I say? But, yeah, I, you know, I, went into, I was never bullied in school, but I knew I was overweight. And after a while I said, somebody said to me, you know, you're overweight. I said, yeah, but I'm really smart, so who cares? I didn't care. There you go. That's, that's the yeah. way to, to believe I am that um, firm in my self-belief as a child. So, yeah, yeah, I I think I see in my daughter a a strength that I never had. So um, I'm glad that at least somebody in the family has it where she doesn't believe her value is based on her weight. In my family, it was very much made out like my mother was trying to put me on diets when I was 10. Yeah, mine too. uh, Yeah, so, I mean, I think that you can't do that and then – expect that the child is going to feel okay in their own skin. And so that's where slashing Mona Lisa came from, I think. So that sounds that sounds interesting. I know because I know a lot of people in my family are very weight conscious. And my dad weighed yeah. four hundred and thirty four pounds when he died. He didn't care. Wow. He ate wow. forty well, he, I think he lost weight. He didn't care. He didn't care. I think it's great if you can enjoy your life without worrying about that because honestly I think that weight is um, society's way of keeping women down because if we're Uh so busy worrying about our weight, we won't be, you know, doing other things like breaking glass ceilings. That's true. That's true too. And sometimes, um, you know, you go, you meet somebody on a blind date and they look at you and they go, Oh, I don't like the way you look. I don't don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Uh, you, You just, you know, you have to develop and it's hard to develop a thick skin. So you on the board, this is really interesting on the board of sisters in crime. And yes. as well as the president of your local Romance Writers of America chapter. Tell us yes. about that, and how do how do you get people to contribute to that? Because there are a lot of romance writers that are on Facebook that would probably be interested. Uh, well, I think that RWA has had some challenges recently, but um, they have a whole new board and a whole new uh, direction of inclusion, which is wonderful. Um I joined RWA because I was told that you didn't have to be a romance writer to belong and that they were helpful in all sorts of writing. And at the time, I only had um, expired listings, which I knew wasn't a straight romance, but I found a group that met um, at the Palisades Mall. It was a small group of people. Um, oh, nice. One of, the first, one of the first things I did when I came and sat it, and that was not an easy thing to walk into that meeting uh, because I wasn't that sure if I was going to – I wasn't published yet. I was just having finished uh, the book, and I, they had a critique, and I read the mm. critique. Uh, because they did ask me to bring something to read. And the first thing somebody said to me was, well, that's not a romance because I had infidelity in it. And you can't have um, infidelity in Mm -hmm. romance. 
And I sort of said, well, could I still come here and, and work on the book? I really like you people. And they said, sure. And I think we lose a, a lot of people will come in and do critique and then never come back because they don't realize that you do have to have a thick skin. And one of the things I really like about my yeah. RWA chapter is that they'll, they'll tell you exactly what they think. Um, and if it's not working, they'll tell you. And if you can't hear that, you better hear it now because you don't want to hear it from the agents and the publishers that you pitch. Better to hear it when you still have a chance to fix it. So um, I did spend, um, I guess, around three years in uh, three or four years at RWA. And then um, when elections came up, they were crazy enough to nominate me as president. Um, It's been an insane year because of COVID. So we've moved everything, all our meetings onto Zoom. We had to not, we do a a uh, retreat every year we've had to put that off twice now it's scheduled for next october but we go away for a weekend and we all sit and write and eat <laughs> pretty much eating that's and writing. nice we have a wonderful time um we have a couple of contests that we run and we judge um and we give critique uh to help sort of burgeoning writers um and we also we ran a um a valentine's day trivia uh, thing last year, an event last year, which unfortunately we're not going to repeat this year. We may do it in 20, um, 2022. Um, but I really love being part of that group. Uh, when I realized that I was writing psychological thrillers and not romance, mm-hmm. I joined Sisters in Crime. Um, I really enjoyed being part of that board because uh, they put me in charge of programming, which has been lots and lots of fun. And with COVID, uh, I've been able to get much better speakers or much more varied speakers, I should say, because we always had great speakers, Uh, but Mm -hmm. people from all over the world, because all they have to do is call in. They don't have to be present in New York City. So um, we've had some really excellent speakers and um, events. And one of the greatest parts of being part of my Sisters in Crime group is that we get to... uh, man a booth at the Brooklyn Book Fair every year and sell our books there. And so I really enjoy meeting readers and being part of that. That that is that is nice. I I I love going to the Thriller Fest and stuff like that. And I miss that. The only good part about doing what I do is that I I don't have to wear a mask to do the show. Seriously. (laughs) And um (laughs) yeah, I know, seriously. And uh I can do it whenever I want. I'm on my, I'm on my, you know, own to do that, and it's it's great because I, you know, I, I pick what I want to do and I pick the shows that I want to do, and which, mm-hmm. which is even better. And I pick the authors that I want to do. So I'm going to add some questions because we still have another sure. half an hour. Uh, sure. You, you started to say the last question you have is, what is the hardest part about being a writer? Well, my question is also, how do you decide what you want to write about? Because that's a question that I've asked um, many authors. How do, you, how do you decide the plot line that you want to write about? And how do you decide the conflict for the main character? Wow. It's a great question. Um, I think with my first book, I always wanted to write about how dangerous it is to be a realtor. And so the story came up from that. 
um, because it really is a very dangerous thing. I even have one of the characters saying you're usually a woman, an attractive woman, because um, that you're putting your picture on uh, signs and business cards and letting the whole world know what you look like. And then you're announcing that you'll be alone in a house for four hours on a Sunday to do an open house. And or you're willing to get into their cars and take them around to houses and you're not always the one who's driving. And so it's Mm -hmm. very dangerous. And that's what I wanted to put a focus on when I wrote the first book, Um, Mm -hmm. how the plot you're, you're sort of assuming that I know how to plot. Um, And I don't, I'm not a plotter. I'm more of a pantser, which is somebody who writes by the seat of their pants. I sort of sit down I know where the ending is usually going Mm -hmm. and the characters sort of develop as I write. And there's a lot, as I said before, there's a lot of snark. I mean, I've got a lot of sarcastic characters because I'm kind of snarky and I I like to laugh at my characters and I like them to make me laugh. Um, In my first book, there's a romance that never was, I never saw coming. Um, and she, the, the main character walks in to be interrogated because there have been realtor murders, and she recognizes the, um, the detective as someone she's seen in um, sex clubs. And they're both sort of keeping that a secret. And it wasn't until she walked in and saw him that I realized, wow, she really thinks he's cute. And that took the, whole, the story in a totally different direction. Mm. Um, with say, uh, Slashing Mona Lisa, I knew I wanted to write about... Um, weight and people's feelings about themselves and their weight. Um, and I, I can't tell you how it developed. Again, I wrote this like three or four years ago. Um, I sat down a lot of times the books aren't, I didn't really decide who did it until um, maybe halfway through. Uh, and with, Saving Grace, again, I wrote the book totally differently to start with, and it wasn't Mm -hmm. until working with developmental editors that I really, I got um, more of a handle on what I wanted to say because it couldn't be both Grace's and Hack's story. I had to sort of Mm -hmm. base it on one of them. And since the story was called Saving Grace, I figured it better be Grace's story. Even though if I went further, I would probably have three of the young characters go out and be um, solving crimes. And Grace would no longer be a part of it. It would be like the Joe Hack mystery series. Um, With Saving Grace, I knew how it ended. um, But it was fuzzy. And there were a lot of things that happened in the book. As you're writing it, things change and things work or they don't work. And when I rewrote, last time I wrote Saving, uh, rewrote Saving Grace, I threw out 20,000 words and had a, a wow. third of the book almost and had to rework it. So it's not always, um, doesn't end up the way you started. In my first book, the, um, the killer was somebody totally different than I originally set out for it to be because I read another book. Uh, by an author who was also writing real estate mysteries um, and she was using the same person as a killer um, person in in the uh, protagonist's life and I couldn't and I had to pick someone else and actually made it for a much better story. So would you, are you going to bring, as you write the next one based on this, would you bring Grace or Hacker or any of his friends back in another book? Would you write a sequel to this? 
I would, if, if I, you know, I know a lot of people like writing whole series and then they try to sell yeah. them and I never saw the point in writing a series if I didn't know if anybody would like the first book. Um, yeah. Now that I know that people like this book, I, I'm thinking about writing Joe, Joe Hack, or Hack with Kenzie and uh, Zev yeah. go out and solve murders. And I actually had the first book revolve around the, the first sequel was going to revolve around someone in Zev's life because he was my favorite character in the book. Uh, I like his sense of humor. And, um, but then I started writing this, this book, uh, Queen of Second Chances. And uh, I wrote it during COVID. I mean, I was in quarantine or self quarantine and um, I just would do my thousand words a day and I got it out. And so that is actually the first of a of a potential series that would um, talk about a different character in each book. And the people I'm, the publisher I'm speaking to is interested in the three books. But again, I wouldn't have written book two and book three until I got somebody buying book one. Well, that, that is good. Well, the person, um, John Land is fantastic with that, with the Caitlin Strong series. And now he just picked uh-huh. up um, the Capital Murders, Margaret Schumann. I just read. I read that. It's not coming out till February, but I did read it. It's fantastic. He's, uh-huh. he's great. But the, my question, then you just brought it up, is how do you get? The, you know, I, I read. I've read over ten thousand books. I have to be honest. Seriously, I, I read. I read more than I've always read. I read six books a week when I was a kid. My wow. mother existed. Wow. So. How do you get a publisher to sign? Because there are so many authors out there, and when you pitch it to an, uh, a, a, a traditional publisher and you send your work to that particular person, how long does it take for them to send it? And can you send it to more than one publisher, or are you stuck with that? And how do you get them to even notice you? Because it's very hard. There's a lot of questions there, I will say. I know. <laughs> you usually... Um, Usually you send it to agents and you see if the agents will like the book and you can send to, if you use something called querytracker.net, you can find a number of agents that will specialize in the genre that you're writing in. And then, and then if you've exhausted that, I've always found that it's been easier for me to go directly to publishers. I did have an agent for, for um, Mm -hmm. expired listings. It did not, I got more um, contracts than she did, I was, but I was going to small publishers uh, with small presses. And by small presses, I do not mean vanity presses. I do not okay. mean presses that you end up spending money to get published. These are people who are publishing mm-hmm. you on their dime. Um, mm-hmm. I've always had better success. And I've, you meet a lot of people at conferences. Um, or being part of organizations, you meet people that will maybe look at your book first uh, because they know you and they have a personal relationship with you. Um, I can't say that that happened to me. Um, I, my first book, I had five contracts from small presses. I ended up self-publishing. I did not mm-hmm. like the contracts or, or some of the publishers. For whatever reasons I had, I decided I wanted to control what happened to that book. Um, for the, um, I had a novella published by Lucid, which is uh, an erotica publisher that is sadly no longer 
in existence. That was a wonderful relationship I had with them. Um, that was somebody that I actually met. Did I meet them? I think I met them at a conference and I pitched them one thing and I ended up selling them something else. So, But I did have that relationship because I had met them and I had pitched them. Uh, I think I pitched them expired listings and they didn't want that, but then mm-hmm. I came back to them with something else and they liked it. Um, Beachwalk Press published uh, Slashing Mona Lisa. I did not have a relationship with them. I had sent them expired listings and they they said, we love this book. It's not for us because it's not what we publish, but we think you have something really great there. So I had an mm-hmm. opening to send them the next manuscript and said, you like that one? Maybe you'll like this one. And with um, Saving Grace, I went to um, Black Rose Writing, who seems to be a lot more open-minded mm-hmm. than a lot of the other publishers that I I went to and um, they were happy with the book. So I, I usually get, I guess I've been lucky because um, I've gotten anywhere from two to five offers on everything I've ever written. That's nice. Um, I think one of the things that I do that other people don't do is that I invest in a developmental editor. So I write something, mm-hmm. but I'm still amazed I can write fiction. I was a journalist. So to me, fiction was my I never thought I was a fiction writer, so I'm never quite sure. And so I do my critique groups. I have my my beta readers and my critique group, but I also invest in an editor or two to read the book and give me their ideas about what they think I've done right or wrong. And so by the time I send that book out to publishers or to agents, it's pretty polished. You know, there's not a lot of editing. And now I've I've gotten a, a software program called ProWritingAid.com, which mm-hmm. takes care of a lot of the grammar issues that I might have or I might have missed. Uh, so again, I don't. They I, they do have some editing because publishers have a um, all of them have their own unique style. But mm-hmm. um, I'd like to think that I don't have a lot of errors, and I certainly have a plot that makes sense. I have an editor so too. I, when I send it to her, and I just say, "Maxine, fix my mistakes," and she does. <laughs> and Maxine, yeah. if I have something wrong with my conduct, please tell me. She's she's pretty good. But um, then I'll send it to my cousin does editing, and I'll send it to her too. But I'm finding that editors can be really costly. And the very first book yep. I published was called "My Name Is Bertha." Um, was the first book I wrote about my sister, and myself, and I had my mother-in-law was a, was a fam- was an editor. And she edited the book. It was perfect. When I sent it to them, to this particular company, I got the edit, I got the galley back, and it was all mistakes. I sent it back yeah. five times. When they published it, people gave me four-star reviews and five stars, but one guy said to me, do you have a lot of grammar errors? And there were no grammar errors when I sent it. I, and I sent it back to the publisher. You're going to redo it over again because it was self-published. So I didn't know it was the first yeah. book I ever did. Yeah. They weren't happy with me, but they did it over. Yeah, they did. They did do it over. And I said, you know, Bertha is me, as my grandmother was Bertha. Tilly was my aunt, so it was Bertha and Tilly, my sister and I. And I said, Bertha's only 10, so she makes mistakes. Oh, well. And that's how I answered yeah. the guy that wrote review. But um, question, before we talk about what, you know, where we can find you and everything. Do you ever have a, a problem deciding what to write? I mean, a lot of authors say, oh, my God, I have writer's book. I can't remember. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what to write about. It doesn't sound like you have that problem, that you have a whole bunch of ideas and you just write. Um, 
you know, that doesn't mean that the books necessarily work. Or I have a lot of ideas that might not work. And, you know, you get into a couple mm-hmm. of pages and you realize there's no conflict or it's, it's yeah. not working. Um, I originally, the new book, The Queen of Second Chances, was set in an old age home. Well, I didn't really think during COVID that anybody was going to want to read about people in an old age home. So I sort of set it aside and it wasn't until I realized, no, it could be in a senior center and a sort of a, a meals on wheels type place that um, I picked it up again and I, I kept writing and it worked. But um, there are there was a, a book I wanted to write that was set on a cruise ship. Well, I'm not writing a cruise ship book right now because of mm. COVID. So I was sort of <laughs> and I have like crazy ideas that I pitch that um, before writing them and I don't get interest and then I say well that's not going to work um, and honestly my books are not derivative um, it's very hard for me to find cops for them I know all the, um, the publishers and the agents want you to say oh it's this book times this book and and really, that's difficult. I mean, I know that I this particular book, um, Saving Grace, is sort of like Gaslight and um, Suspicion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that. I didn't write it with that in mind, and um, and later after I'd finished it, someone said, "Oh yeah, it's like that." And I said, "Oh, I guess you're uh-huh. right." Um, or or this new book I've written has some elements of letters to Juliet, Juliet the movie. Well, I mm-hmm. didn't see that movie until after I finished the book. Um, and I wish I could write more. <laughs> I write kind of original stuff. And that's why I think it's harder for me to sell it uh, than maybe a lot to, to, to big presses because they're looking for what's worked before. And my work is kind of original. Well, that's what makes it different because, like I said, I've read so many books that sometimes I'm reading a book in a series and I'm saying, mm-hmm. okay, the character's still there and it's just another plot with the same character. Oh, God, why am I being tortured like this? Or um, <laughs> I, I, I will not read self-help anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I, I read one that was totally, I don't know what the publish, publisher thought about it because they sent me a book um, based on weightlifting. And that's all. The book was well written. It was really good. It's just that I can't tell you whether the product that he was promoting in the book that he just that he created really worked or not. So I just wrote about basically what he wrote. It was really well written, but I don't know what they thought about what I wrote because it was you know no opinion, just what what, what I what what I learned, which is uh-huh. that he wrote this thing. Um, Basically, it's hard because there are so critiques and book reviews can, you know, some people don't have a thick skin. So when you get a book yeah. review and it's not exactly wonderful, you have to blow it off. I mean, the first yeah. book I wrote was Verses Behind the Stone series. Everybody loved it. And somebody wrote, I gave you two stars because I didn't understand the book. I said, well, if you read the whole thing, you might help Phil. Might be helpful. They're based, they're based on real life experiences. Some of the stories. I didn't make them all up. Mm-hmm. Some of them were real. Mm-hmm. Some of them were not. So another one more question. So when you want to promote your work, where do you find is the best way play to get people besides this blog tour, which is great. She's fantastic. She does mine also. Um, where, where do you promote your work so people know about you and read about you? What kind of social media do you use besides Facebook? Well. 
It's a good question because I always found that getting exposure is harder than actually writing the book. Yeah. Um, I put it out on NetGalley and I put it out on Book Siren so that a lot of uh, reviewers and bloggers can read um, mm-hmm. because then I get a, some buzz and word of mouth. Uh, I usually, uh, not this book, but in previous books, I had a big uh, book launch party and mm-hmm. um, those were some of the most fun things I've done. Uh, I have done them in conjunction with um, charities, like when I did the mm-hmm. book launch for Slashing Mona Lisa, I did it as a dessert party because the whole point was to eat what you want and not worry about a diet. And I did it in conjunction with a friend's charity, uh, which is called Penguin Plunge. And um, a quarter of uh, all the earnings from the books I sold, I donated. So they invited their reader, you know, their um, supporters so that's one way to do it is to do it in conjunction with a nonprofit that you are um, affiliated with or believe in. Um, what else do I do? God, I, I think also, um, you know, it depends on the book too. Like mm-hmm. for Queen of Second Chances, set in a senior center, I'm going to promote it to senior center book clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done speaking engagements with my um, with my romance writers. We have um, a couple of talks that we give at libraries about the uh, the path to publication. So there's a matter of giving back. I also do an interview show of my own called author groupiecom which is a Zoom interview show. And, oh, nice. Um, at the beginning of the show, I talk a little bit about my books, and at the end, there's pictures of my books and a way to get them, as, long, as well as whoever I've interviewed. So that's a, a way of getting known as well. Um, and I attend a lot of conferences. I try to. I mean, when there isn't a pandemic going on, I try to attend a lot of conferences. This year, I did it virtually, and I got to go to a lot of them, and it's been um, very enjoyable. Uh, to see people I know. Uh, my favorite of those, honestly, is Crime Bake, which is in um, the Boston area in November. And I, it's a small conference, and they have great people. And you can pitch to agents and publishers. And that's, again, where you make those connections. Um, yep. That's kind that of, I mean, great. it depends on the book a lot of times. Well, it depends on what they're looking for also. I mean, considering how many I've read, and then sometimes I'm noticing that a lot of the authors are copying the same topics or the same type of theme as other authors, and some people do it better than others, seriously, yeah. uh, considering you know how, how much I read. Um, late, lately it's um, paranoia. Lately it's uh, no one has written anything about COVID, thank God, so far. And I'm sure there's going to be books next year based on the pandemic. And to be very honest, I don't know if I want to read them <laughs> at this particular uh-huh. point. Because sure. it's 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 been constricting. I haven't seen my family in a year. I don't go anywhere because wow. I'm not because the the other thing um is how do you decide on the title of the book and how do you pick your cover? Cuz that's something that um I I was really for my last book called What If, everybody said the cover did it. And I picked yeah. the cover myself. I created it. So how do you pick uh-huh. the cover for your book and the title? Because your title, Saving Grace, is perfect because it's not 10,000 words. 
So how did yeah. you decide on the, the title on the cover? I, I like my, my titles. Honestly, Saving Grace made sense because book about Saving Grace. The unfortunate part about Saving Grace is that there's a million books named Saving Grace. So my publisher called it Saving Grace, colon, a psychological thriller, which separates it. Yeah. Um, expired listings is um, an expression in uh, the real estate world when you try to sell a house and it doesn't sell in the time of the contract. It's called an expired listing. And um, considering it was about deaths of realtors in the the real estate industry, I decided that that would be a good name. My husband loves that name. Um, the cover, you know, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do on that. I, I was thinking maybe I wanted a uh, gravestone with a for sale sign on it. I, I, and then I saw, um, I was looking through photos and um, on um, Shutterstock or whatever, you know, a photo site Mm-hmm. And saw these lips holding a key, and I thought, well, that's perfect because it's a kinky story about a realtor. So I mm-hmm. love that cover. Um, for Slashing Mona Lisa, um, there were two covers because I published the hard uh, the, the paperback, and I sold the digital rights to Beachwalk. So Beachwalk picked pictures of. That were pretty similar to the people in the book, and I got the right of refusal on that, and, and I picked a, a man that I thought better represented what I had in mind. I commissioned um, through a company uh, – now I'm not going to remember the name of the company. The guy is Carl Graves. Ex- ex- extended Images something – Anyway, he's excellent, this guy Carl Graves, and I told him what I wanted, and he did a wonderful cover of uh, mm. the Mona Lisa, but at, at parts of the body are the man and the woman of the book. Uh, mm-hmm. So I thought that was wonderful. In in Saving Grace, um, they have an art department, and they they gave me a cover that I wasn't particularly happy with, and part of that was my fault because I hadn't really explained what I wanted. And so I went and started looking again in pictures, um, picture Mm -hmm. uh, sites. And I saw this woman who's sort of coming out of the fog and I felt it created a feeling of claustrophobia and desperation. And she is coming out of a fog, which is basically what Grace is doing in the book. So I, Mm -hmm. I sort of said, I'd like to use this picture. Um, and again, I, I explained that Slashing Mona Lisa, the title was from my own life and, and an ex-boyfriend's very insensitive comment. <laughs> Queen of Second yeah, well, Chances, I had a few I of my own, but I don't care. Um, I kind so, of like the idea of um, my new book is The Queen of Second Chances is about a girl who um, works in senior centers and she does things that rejuvenate people and make them um, consider the regrets of their life and help them to overcome those regrets. Uh, and so that's where that title came from. That's, that's interesting. So before we go, will you tell everybody where we can learn more about you and your work? So Great. My website, Besides the fact Hanukkah is this week and next week and uh, Christmas is coming in, what's better than uh, books for everybody? That's what I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Anyway. Buy the books. Well, my website right. is dmbar.com. You can also see my interviews at author-groupie.com. Um, my books are available. Uh, you know, go and buy them at your local indie bookstore, please, if you're buying the paperbacks, because that helps people who really need help right now. 
Uh, if you're mm-hmm. buying the uh, digital, you can get them on Amazon. Um, I think you could also get it directly. The new one from Black Rose Writing, uh, they have their own website and they're selling them direct. Same thing with Beachwalk Press. They have their own website where they, they sell the books directly to. Boy, I've learned a lot just listening to you. And now I have an idea <laughs> you. of, you know, what what I can do to eventually get my next book out. My last book is called What If? It's based on um, people that live in a world that I created so that they would start living better in the one that we're in right now. And I guarantee the seven I created, no one wants to live in. And um, one is called Confinement, and there's another one based on the supermarket. What would you do if you went to the supermarket and you got arrested because you bought too much food? Because you took some and someone else took some. Yeah. Um, Confinement is like more like a Twilight Zone. It's a Twilight Zone book. And the Twilight Zone book ends with this poor character. She can't get out of her house. She's afraid. But when she does open the window to get out, what she sees is her doppelganger. She's herself. So you don't really wow. know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know why I did that. I just wrote it out of nowhere. And everybody said that's one. the last two stories were my best. But I want to thank you so much. This has been fantastic and interesting. And um, when you write the next one, make sure I get it. Seriously. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. The, re- the review is on Just Reviews. And I have to say that in the last 10 minutes, people have been reading it. Uh, I don't know. I put I posted it at 6 o'clock this morning, to be very honest. And all of a sudden, I'm getting comments from people, positive ones. If there's a well, negative comment that ever comes, it's on just reviews. If it ever comes a negative comment, I delete it. I will not allow people I'm, to write nasty things about anybody because I might not like somebody's book, but somebody else will. So everybody's entitled you. to their opinion. So before I end, this is something I say at the end of every one of my shows. I saw this on the highway the other day, uh, and I thought this was great. One small ask, everyone. Please, when you go out, I'll protect you. You protect me. Please wear a mask. It's very important. And and make sure it goes over your nose. Goes over your nose (laughs) and, and your mouth. And make sure yeah. that your glasses don't fog like mine do. But uh, you know something? I, I've had close encounters with it, with it too many times. I came in contact with too many people. Thank God I'm not, I'm, I got negative. Thank God I was okay. I'm okay. But it's scary. And if you wear a mask, it's a simple thing just to protect you and not to not getting the, the virus. Because who wants it? God, really. Right. So, right. Dawn, thank you so much. Everybody, it's beautiful outside. It's exactly... 46 degrees, it's a heat wave up here. Wow, I can't believe it. Um, (laughs) Everybody have a great day. Stay healthy, stay safe, wear your mask, and bye. Thank you.